This is Performance Deliver, insider secrets for digital marketing success with Stefan Horst and Dave Antiel. Welcome to the Performance Delivered Insider Secrets for Digital Marketing Success podcast, where we talk with marketing and agency executives and learn how they build successful businesses and their personal brand. I'm your host, Stefan Horst. Today, we're going to talk about how to grow your startup with digital marketing. Here to speak with me about the topic is Brian Clayton, the CEO and co-founder of GreenPal, an online marketplace that connects homeowners with lawn care professionals. GreenPal has been called the Uber for lawn care by Entrepreneur Magazine and has over 100,000 active users. Before starting GreenPal, Brian founded Peachtree Inc., one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, growing it to over 10 million a year in annual revenue before it was acquired by Lusa Holdings in 2013. Brian, welcome to Performance Delivered. Hey, great to be on. Thanks for having me, Stefan. So I don't know if, uh, you know, I, I think you sent me that uh, that intro like two weeks ago. So did you grow by 100,000 uh, active users in, in two weeks, which would be phenomenal? Yeah, so uh, we actually ended last year with 100,000 and we're getting ready to close in on 200,000 this year. With COVID has actually helped our business in terms of contactless ordering and people looking for a way to get this chore done without having to meet somebody face to face. So luckily for us, uh, this this crisis has, has helped give us a tailwind, kind of like, you know, Uber Eats and, and DoorDash and Postmates are having banner yeah. years. We're kind of riding that wave. Oh, that's good. Congratulations. Well, listen, before we go to talk about, you know, the actual topic of today's podcast, I wanted to, to find out a little bit more about yourself. So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. How did you come about to found your first company, Peach Training? Yeah, so lifelong entrepreneur. I've, I've never had a job. I've always worked for myself and owned my own businesses. I was drug into entrepreneurship, kicking and screaming by my father on a hot summer day when he made me go mow the neighbor's yard. He, he said, hey, listen, we got a job to do. We're going to go cut the neighbor's grass. And the two of us went uh, next door and we mowed the neighbor's yard and we made 20 bucks and split it. And I was hooked ever since then. Uh, after after that, I, I just uh, started mowing other people's yards in the neighborhood. And by the end of that summer, I had like 10 or 12 people I was cutting grass for. And I just kept doing that through high school and all through college. And uh, I stuck with that business. And, and actually, in, in college, I studied business and, and I developed a business plan to grow it. And uh, over a 15-year period of time, I built that business just myself in a push mower to over 150 employees I'm uh, one of the largest landscaping companies in in the state of Tennessee, and I and I, after reaching about ten million dollars a year in revenue and growing that company to be one of the largest in the, in our market, I decided to to explore an exit and and actually that business was acquired by one of the largest landscaping companies in the United States in 2013. Wow. And so building that business, uh, I learned a lot the hard way, uh, trial and error of of building a company and growing it and marketing and our sales process and then our, our value proposition. And I also learned how, how that business, how the landscaping business worked from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And uh, after selling that company, I, I, to be honest, I kind of got bored. Uh, I took some time off. I, I essentially effectively retired, but uh, I just wanted to get back in the game. I wanted to be a part of something that was growing and something that was that, that I could work on and, and be proud of. And uh, the idea for Green Pal came to me uh, when I just saw what Uber and Lyft were doing for ride sharing and what mm-hmm. Airbnb w- was doing for hotel accommodations. And, and I knew that this kind of platform, this kind of app needed to exist to make it easier for a homeowner just to find a good, reliable lawn mowing service. 
Yeah. And so I uh, recruited two co-founders and got to work on GreenPal. I've been at it for seven years. Wow. Just going back for a second to, to Peachtree, how, how important was digital marketing for the success of, of Peachtree? It was critical. So for, for us, you know, starting that business in the late 90s, early 2000s, I was only 20 years old, 22 years old, 25 years old, running this business and growing it, you know, from two, three people, five people, 10 people. And once I got over my first uh, $500,000 to a million dollars in revenue, I started to understand uh, the idea of, of marketing and digital marketing. And, and back in those days, uh, it, the, the space was very nascent. Uh, no other, none of my competitors were advertising on Google and Facebook didn't exist. And so we decided, you know, uh, I decided to, to make that our, our, our focus. Okay, how can mm -hmm. we pop up number one every time somebody in our town and, and, or in Nashville, Tennessee is looking for a lawn mowing service? And we dominated it for, for many years. And, and that was kind of a, a competitive advantage of mine. And so I was able to, to really compete in a, in a new channel that my competitors weren't even thinking about. And it wasn't like the key to all of our success, but it was, a, it was something that definitely made the phone ring for, for a decade. Yeah. And, and it was one that we could kind of like rely on and then build a, a sales process around on how we service those calls. Yeah. So it wasn't just all organic inbound. It was, okay, we've got the inbound. Now we have to develop the sales process behind it to service these clients. Yeah. Learned all of that just through trial and error, and, and a lot of a lot of that was kind of the wild west back then. But uh, and a lot of the things that I did back then don't work today. But it was a good lesson in the early days that search is a good channel for the, for home services and particularly this type of service. Yeah, I mean, you know, I remember those times that those were gold rush times. You know, you could <laughs> you could get rent flakes for a cent. Uh, even competitive terms. I mean, you you said competitors weren't really active, which meant you, you got really cheap clicks and the overture bit algorithm with really helped to, to pay very little for, for a good amount of traffic that was also quality. I mean, absolutely. You know, my competitors were spending mm -hmm. literally $10,000 a month on, on, uh, on yellow page advertising mm -hmm. and my company wasn't even in the yellow pages. And yeah. so that was just, uh, something that, you know, I was lucky to see around that corner in 2002, three, and then build the business around it. Uh, but nowadays, it's, it's much, much, much different. Yeah. And that actually, I think, highlights the fact that everything changes over time, right? I mean, 15, 20 years ago, you know, you needed much smaller budgets to achieve, or to generate a lot, right? Exactly. Um, nowadays, those budgets most likely are no longer enough. And you have to be much more clever with your approach, right? It, it's not like you just spray it and, and then people will come. Now Absolutely. you have to be really yeah. targeted. Every channel collapses over time. It doesn't matter what it is. It's always going to collapse. It's always going to get harder and harder and harder and harder. And that's why you have to innovate. And really, uh, you know, you have to you have to not only innovate on whatever your service and your product is, but you also have to in innovate on growth and distribution. That's kind of table stakes in, in, you know, the world that I'm in today, the startup world. You know, if you're a tech startup, it's you're going to have to deliver some sort of unique value via your product, but you're also going to have to innovate and think outside of the box on growth and marketing distribution or else you'll never take off. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You mentioned earlier that you had to, obviously, you know, as a, as a young founder, no employment with other companies, you learn the hard way. From a digital marketing perspective, and I assume you were self-taught and, and over the years, you kind of had to go with trial and error. 
Absolutely. You know, in those early days, there were no blog posts of people talking about this stuff. There was no YouTube of, of digital marketers, you know, sharing their experiences. There were no online courses. There, there was no way to really learn this stuff other than just to get in the trenches, roll up your sleeves and figure it out. And, you know, I don't know, there's something about just marketing in general that, that I am drawn to. I'm interested in it and always have been. And I, and I would just, would just toil over the manuals over the books. There's literally like books that you would read that try to, to learn how to, how to make this stuff work. And, and that was, you know, the way you learned back then. Nowadays, you know, it's more competitive, but it's easier to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in many ways it's more accessible today to, to compete and, and market your business digitally than it ever has been. It's just, it's just hand in hand, more competitive. So I don't know which I'd rather have. I mean, you know, back then, uh, you know, I remember one year, I remember one day, uh, I wasn't watching what was going on, and and I, I spent like twelve thousand dollars on clicks oh one day. You know, <laughs> and it was back in the days, you know, like the AdWords panel. In fact, I think that might even have been pre-AdWords would just let you do that. Like, like mm-hmm. you could make one mistake, and you could just you could blow up ten or twenty thousand dollars very easily. Yeah. And if you weren't watching it, and so yeah, that happened, and that was just kind of the tax to learn. Yeah. From a, from, a, from a startup perspective, I would assume that as a, as a you know, business owner, I'm a business owner, but there always are questions of what are we focusing on next, right? Obviously, you need to focus on your business because that's kind of the basis and you're, when you're selling services or products. But then also the question becomes, how are you promoting your service, your products efficiently and, and how to split your time? And the next challenge comes if, if you're a startup that is not necessarily funded, right? So when you're self-funded, there most likely is not so much money available to put into marketing efforts. So what you got to do is, you know, you got to start small and put equity into it. So how should startups go about figuring out what channels work for them and, and what they should be focusing on in the beginning, especially if they don't have any, any funds available to, to invest? It's, a, it's an important question because it's one that, that many entrepreneurs find themselves in is like, what do I even focus on? There's so much to do. I have so much I need to accomplish. Like, what do I, what do I even, where do I even start? And so uh, to your point, you know, a lot of, most entrepreneurs are bootstrapping. I, this typically, that's my preference. I've built my, built and sold my first company with no outside capital. Uh, Green Pal is now at $20 million a year in revenue and we haven't taken any outside capital. I believe I, it's part of my philosophy that, that uh, revenue is the best form of financing. Uh, the challenge is it, it does take longer and it is slower. It's not as fun and it, and it can be harder, more difficult to do it that way, but you can build a more sustainable business. For us, uh, we were lucky to stumble across a resource in our early days, and it was a book called The Startup Owner's Manual by an author named Steve Blank. And he's kind of hand in hand with the author, Eric Reese, uh, who wrote The Lean Startup. And in that book, there is a there's a, a heuristic, a little a little methodology called get, keep, grow. And so, if you're an entrepreneur in the early days, you're really kind of focusing your time across those three buckets of get, keep, grow. So, get is how the hell are we going to get our first dozen 
50, 100 customers, whatever, by any means necessary, we got to get our first 100. And then once we get those first 100, how are we going to keep them? We got to work on the product. We got to work on the service. We got to figure out how we stand out in the competitive landscape. What is our value proposition? Do we even know? How are we faring against our competitors? And, and what is it that we're doing different and better than them? And like, that's maybe like, if you want to look at days of the week, maybe two or three days is on get and two or three days is on keep. And then the the rest of your time, the other seven or, or, or hopefully eight or nine days of the week, because you're putting in the hours, is on grow. It's how do we leverage these first hundred people that we're keeping and leveraging them to grow by way of referrals, by way of working their networks. And it doesn't matter what business you're in, this heuristic can apply to how you delegate your time in, in the early days, which is critical. Because if you focus only on getting people and getting home uh, customers to try it, but you have a crappy product, you're just going to flush them all down the drain. It's going to be like pouring gasoline on wet leaves. You're not ever going to take off. Yeah. But if you can like you, if you can allocate your time across those three disciplines and 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 focus on on where you need to focus your your time, then you can you can manufacture some momentum in those early days, and then you've got a little bit of a money printing press where you make a dollar. And you and if it takes if it takes five dollars to buy a new customer, you make five dollars, buy a new customer, make money, rinse and repeat. Now, in a lot of cases, people that start businesses, they are not necessarily marketing professionals, right? So for them, you know, to learn what they have to do and then how to do it right is going to be costly from a time perspective, but also in a certain way, they, they will have to pay for it uh, because when they give up time to do the marketing part to learn, they can't do other things. Does it make sense from a company configuration perspective to maybe bring in early on maybe a co-founder or, or co-owner or however you want to label that person that has that marketing knowledge? Yeah, I, th I think so. Um, I think the ideal... So, so I, I think... Most business owners uh, approach this as I'm going to start a business or I'm going to build a product. Doesn't matter what you're doing. I'm, I'm going to open up a restaurant or I'm going to uh, start a new app or whatever. And then I'm going to build it, get it going. And then I'm going to sprinkle some marketing on top at the end. And that's not really a, a recipe for success. You have to be thinking about marketing and growth and distribution as you're building the product, as you're starting the business, because it's table stakes. You're going to have to not only, like I, like I mentioned earlier, is like half of the battle is, is delivering a better solution to a problem than your competitors are, but the other half is innovating on how you're going to get the word out and how you're going to distribute that product or service. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so, like, let's say if you want to say, okay, well, uh, then, I'm, then I need a co-founder. Well, maybe uh, or maybe not, but if you do, it, it kind of helps if you have a hacker and a hustler, like somebody that knows like the, 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 the technical aspect of it. And then the hustler is the person that is going to make the phone ring. Mm -hmm. And if those two, those two people come together, it can be deadly, but you don't necessarily have to have a hustler. I mean, I have to have a co-founder, but you kind of need to be both of those. You need to be part hacker, part hustler. And when I say hacker, it, it, you know, that, that applies to just whatever it is that of building the product or service that, that you're trying to bring to market. It's, it's kind of like you had to be half and half and in in, especially in the early days on, on in, innovating on on the solution to the problem and then innovating on distribution. I mean, there are so many channels, obviously, or, or digital marketing solution that, that one needs to consider when, when offering a product or a service. Is there kind of a ready to, to take out of a drawer plan for startups that says, first do this, 
take this channel, then do this channel, then do this, uh, that people can just adjust? Or is it is it more, it depends on the business, it depends on your your target audience, et cetera? Yeah, there's definitely no no one size fits all in my, my experience. Um, now, that said, there's probably like six channels that, that you can experiment in to see if they're a good fit for your business. Uh, and so it might, it might be that, you know, if you're selling a B2B product that LinkedIn is the best channel for you to buy ads. Um, but it also could be that if you've got a new fashion brand that Instagram is going to be, or TikTok is going to be the, the, the best channel for you. Um, if, if you're in the home services space, like we are, as it turns out, organic Google organic search is the best channel, uh, that, that we can bet on. And so in the, in those early days, you really kind of need to quickly experiment in, in each that makes sense and then figure out, okay, this one's showing promise and then double down and throw all your weight into that one channel because it's rare that any early stage company or, or, or startup is good at more than one channel. You're probably going to dominate one channel if you're going to make it because it just takes so much of your of your bandwidth to, to be successful in that channel. For us, we, we bet very early on, on, on organic Google search as, as our channel. And even to this day, we get over half of our, of our users through just people searching in Google coming across a landing page of ours. They never heard of green pal, but they just try it out because it it seems to have a solution to their problem. Mm -hmm. And so for, so, so for us, we bet made that bet really early because we saw good signs and, and good early indications that it was the right move. But, uh, if we had chosen wrong, uh, if we had bet it all on, I don't know, uh, Twitter ads or Pinterest ads or Facebook ads, we may not be here today. We, we may mm. could have run out of gas already. Is there is there a way or how would you recommend people to identify those I don't know, five, six channels that they should test? Put a little, not all eggs in one basket, but, but slice the egg and then put it into yeah, five yeah. to six baskets. How can they identify those, those five, six channels that they should try? How would you go about that? So uh, I've, one of my favorite quotes is uh, by a venture, famous venture capitalist. His name is Ben Horowitz, and he says, "Fire bullets, then cannonballs." So you did you, you what you do is you set up those test campaigns. And so let's say uh, let's say that you are starting a home construction business in in uh, San Francisco, California, and but you are building maybe you're you're bu- you, maybe you're building these these uh, these houses out of uh, out of out of those big uh storage containers mm-hmm. and so that's that's your angle and so you want to really figure out how the hell am i going to get leads for people to call me to build them a custom house built out of these materials well the first thing you would do is you would need to set up some sort of of website landing page that is communicating uh your value proposition that's communicating why somebody should do business with you and why somebody should choose your product over their competitors and that that's like needs to be a lot of time needs to be thought about that then very simply, you can buy traffic to that and figure out what is converting. So maybe one week you say, okay, I'm going to spend 500 or or $1,000 on Facebook ads this week targeting the types of, of ideal uh, candidates that, that I think would make, make good customers for my business. And just seeing if I can get any of them just to click the button on the landing page or, or maybe just click to call me. And then you would just repeat that over all the paid channels that you could, whether it be Google AdWords, whether it be Twitter ads, Pinterest ads, uh, you know, Instagram ads, and this, this run through the whole gambit and, and, and you don't have to like, ex, you know, experiment in every single one of them, but maybe in the ones that this makes sense to you. And then as you're doing that, 
you need to really figure out, okay, if I'm going to compete in organic search, meaning like not necessarily paid you know, pay-per-click, you might develop the best guide for how to build this type of home in this type of market. And it literally has to be the best on the internet for this type of person that you're trying to reach. And seeing if you, if Google can pick that up and if Google will reward that on, on, for those, those search queries and doing, doing both of those in tandem, will tell you real quick within a matter of month uh, or three months, which channel might be the best fit for your startup. And, Firing those bullets before you fire cannonballs is really the difference between winning and losing in, in the early days because if you go down the wrong path and you bet the company on the wrong channel, uh, you're probably going to run out of money and just, quite frankly, run out of steam. Yeah. I think another element probably to add to this is, is, is kind of understanding your target audience, right? When you build a product, when you build a service, you have an audience in mind for for that. And with, with knowing your target audience that allows you to look at, you know, where is your target audience? It, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's exactly right. And, and the other thing is, too, is you may find out that you were wrong about that. That happened to our company in the early days. Uh, when we first launched the first version of our product, we thought that people who would want to hire a lawn mowing service uh, via a mobile app or on the Internet would be people living in, you know, the higher end parts of town, mm-hmm. million dollar plus homes. And what we came to learn through trial and error and doing exactly what I, what I was just describing, uh, marketing to these zip codes, was that that was not actually our ideal candidate. The person who would get the most value out of a service like ours was really the working class professionals or dual income households, people that were living on the working class side of town, because quite frankly, they're just too busy to cut their own grass. And that our software, our platform through its competitive bidding would make it more accessible, more uh, cost effective. And mm-hmm. so what we came to find over six through six months of trial and error in the early days was like, OK, it's not the affluent part of towns. Of, uh, it's actually the working class part of town that loves our product because typically a lawn mowing service is 50 bucks and we're able to deliver it for for 33 and uh, and and the and the service provider is still making money at that because we eliminate a lot of the headache of having to acquire that customer and, and get paid for that customer and so that's really where our value proposition resonates and that was something that we were open to learning about and opening open to uh, like discovering those insights in the early days because we didn't know you come to the the situation with a lot of assumptions but you have to test and validate those and so yeah understanding your audience is critical and then also being adaptable to listen to the feedback of the market and studying how your how your experiments are working to understand okay it's actually not this user segment it's these folks that i really can help and mm-hmm. then doubling down on that once you figure that out yeah i think you just you know although we didn't directly talk about it but you- I think you made a just important point here of data at the end of the day, right? When, when you do online advertising, obviously you collect a lot of data. So it's not only about what channels, et cetera, but the data that you collect while, while running these test campaigns, they can inform additional uh, steps, not only from a marketing perspective, but also from a business perspective, right? Because when, you, when you said, you know, in the beginning, we were after the million dollar plus homes and owners, your, your messaging is different to when you're going after the working class target audience, so to speak. Absolutely. And, and, and to that point, I think it's good to have a good balance of intuition and gut feel and just and it's like having a bias towards action, but also being informed by some kind of data that can help you tilt the odds in your favor. Because 
you know, you can you can skew towards one side of, of the spectrum and, and almost get paralyzed by data and not and not take any action. And that's not good either. And then you can just like go like based off of your preferences and, and like off of your gut. And that, that may not be good either, because at the end of the day, if you're not making decisions that's driven by some kind of quantitative data, then really it's just opinions. Yeah. And really, you know, if, if, if you make the right call, it, it could just be luck. Um, that you were on the right track because even me, like I've spent my entire life in the lawn mowing industry. It's the only uh, industry I've ever worked in. And, and I'm still proven wrong uh, about things that I thought were true in terms of, of consumer decision making and, and buyer behavior that I thought would be the case that, that just, just aren't. Um, mm. And I had these biases that I was approaching the situation from that, that were proven wrong with data. And so there's a healthy balance of having a bias towards action and going with your gut, but also being guided by some type of qualitative and quantitative data to help tilt the odds in your favor in your favor that you're making the right call. Yeah, Brian, you you mentioned a few times uh, search engine optimization in well, in what you just said. How important is that for a business? And and, and when should startups decide to allocate efforts to SEO, search engine optimization? Yeah, I think for some businesses, it's it's crucial that they that they try to compete in search. And then I think for other businesses, it may not be as important. Let's take let's say if you have a fashion brand, for instance, and let's just say like you're marketing a certain type of shoe to a certain type of certain type of consumer that's got a certain type of taste. Writing blog posts about that may not be the best strategy. It might just be best to like try to be a tastemaker on Instagram. That's a better fit for that type of, of, of business. Uh, but, but let's say you have like a, a marketplace like, like, like ours, like GreenPal. Uh, search and, and organic traffic is going to be critical to the survivability of that business because you really can't afford to pay for every single visit. You can't afford to pay for every user that's going to come to the front door. You're going to have to have some organic traffic come to your property for a, for a low uh, marginal cost. And if not, you're not going to make it because you can't afford to pay for all the traffic to build the, the buyers and sellers and build the liquidity to make that type of product work. So searches, I think, table stakes for certain types of business. And, and for others, it doesn't matter as much. And, and I see it uh, quite a bit as I'm talking with, with, up and coming startups uh, and other entrepreneurs is that they're they think they need to compete in search when they really don't. It's not that important. They actually need to be building a like a sales team, and they actually need or they or they need to be figuring out how to like win at Snapchat or something like that. So it it just depends on what you're doing, and a lot of that could be informed by by early experiments in the first three to six months of starting your business. You know, very early in our conversation, um, we talked about that or ask you about whether it would make sense for, for a startup a founder to, to get a co-founder or, or someone else in that does marketing. I want to come back to that. Um, how sh or who should be in charge of digital marketing in a startup? Are there specific people that you think about that, that should lead that? How much involvement should the, the, the owner have in yeah. digital marketing? So uh, for a startup or any small business just getting started, I think it's a mistake for a, f a founder and a co-founder or, or two co-founders to come together and say, we'll hire a marketer to take care of that. 
I think that's a mistake because it's kind of like delegating it from a, from, from a weak position. I think in the early days, whether you're a solo founder or you have one or two co-founders, either yourself or somebody on the team has to own and live and die by marketing and growth because it's just, it's just critical to the business that the, the, Building the business in such a way that it's going to attract customers is table stakes. It doesn't matter how good the, the the product or the service is. If it's not built in such a way where you can market it and it will grow on its own, then you probably aren't going to make it. And so I'm biased towards this, but it's my gut. Like I feel like the CEO and the co and the founder need to, uh, studying marketing they need to be the the cmo uh if you will in in the in their early days and maybe even for many years uh the ceo needs to be in charge of growth um mm-hmm. it, because it's just it's just so critical to the business survivability yeah they need to care and 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 be involved in all the other aspects of the business too whether it be uh writing of code or whether it be customer service or whether it be you know of course overall strategy but like being in charge of growth is just so critical because it re- it actually requires all facets of the business to come together for it to be effective. You know, uh, I I am I lead our growth team uh, here. We have a team of five people, and so for us to execute on growth, we have to have an engineer, we have to have a designer, we have to have a copywriter, we have to have a data analyst, and all these people have to like work together and they have to get together and like and then, and then we have to have somebody who guides them on what the hell it is we're doing. That's me. And, and all of these disciplines have to come together to execute on, on growth and marketing. And I think that's why the CEO needs to own it in the, in the early days. Yeah. Brian, we're, we're coming to the end of, uh, of our podcast episode today. But before, you know, I'll let you go. My question is, you know, there's always the question, how much of digital marketing should be managed in-house at a startup or at a company? And, and how much should you potentially outsource, get a marketing agency or, or whatever agency uh, fulfills a service that you need help with. What's your view on that? How much are you keeping in-house? How much would you recommend keeping in-house? And what areas would you recommend an outside partner should take care of? Yeah. Okay. So, so kind of a nuanced answer to that. If you're a startup and you're just starting from scratch, I think everything needs to be in-house in the early days so you can learn how to do these things, whether it be managing a Google AdWords account, managing a Facebook ads account, executing a backlinking acquisition strategy to, to boost up your SEO. All of these things need to be done in-house for a little while so you can understand the, the, the complexities of how they work and the mechanics of how they work. So then and only then you can delegate them because if you, if you delegate these things too soon and, and you delegate them before you understand the mechanics of how they work, then you're, you're delegating from a standpoint of abdication. You're like, oh, I don't want to do that or I'm not good at that. Therefore, I'm going to like hire this agency to do it. And then you don't quite frankly really know what the hell is going on. You don't know if you're getting good ROI. You don't know if you have the right agency. You don't know if you have good practitioners on your campaign. You really, just to, just to, just to put it bluntly, can't call BS on what's, what's happening. But if you execute these things, like self-execute them for, for a while, then you can delegate from a, sta- from a position of, 
of authority. You can you can be a steward of these things and say, okay, yeah, no, I've ran our Google AdWords campaign. I know that these these taglines, this copy converts better. And you know, we're paying you know one hundred and twenty dollars to acquire a customer. We'd like to get that down to ninety. I've taken this as far as I can. You know, I've read these ten blog posts from this agency, and here's some cool things they're doing that I never thought of, and they're kind of executing at a higher level than I can. So I'm going to work with them for for three months to see what happens and treat it as an experiment. Like that's a much better way to approach that, 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 that dynamic than saying, okay, we need customers go hire this PPC company and let's, yeah. and let's hope for the best. Yeah. That allows you to call BS, right? Yeah, um, when, when someone comes along and says, oh yeah, we can do X, Y, Z. And then if you don't know that topic, if you are not having at least a basic understanding of it, it's so easy to fall into a trap with a bad provider. But if Absolutely. you have the knowledge, you will be much better off. And it'll take, and if you don't know, it'll take you six months to learn that you made a mistake. Exactly. And in, yeah. in the first two or three years of a business, that could be the difference between success and failure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, Brian, um, thank you so much for joining me on the Performance Server podcast and sharing your thoughts on how to grow a startup uh, with digital marketing. I really enjoyed our conversation. If, if people want to find out more about you and your company, uh, GreenPower, how can they get in touch? Yeah, so anybody listening to this that doesn't want to waste time cutting their own grass, they can just download GreenPal in the App Store or the Play Store. They'll get hooked up with a good lawn mowing service in less than a minute. Uh, anybody that uh, is an entrepreneur slugging it out and, and wants to reach out to me, you can just email me, brian at yourgreenpal.com, and uh, put me on second or third base on what your uh, question is, and I can just give you an answer based on my experience. Great. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you like the Performance Podcast, please subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast application. If you want to find out more about Symphonic Digital, you can visit us at symphonicdigital.com or follow us on Twitter at SymphonicHQ. Thanks again and see you next time. Performance Delivered is sponsored by Symphonic Digital. Discover audience-focused and data-driven digital marketing solutions for small and medium businesses at symphonicdigital.com.